You're listening to The Unpaved Path, a podcast made to inspire and motivate the next generation of athletes to own their journey. My name is Reagan Rust. I'm a former captain of Boston University's NCAA Division I women's ice hockey team and current professional hockey player in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm talking with athletes, people in the sports industry, and sports supporters to share their journeys and the lessons they learned along the way. My guest today has an incredible story, and I'm extremely grateful that he took the time to come on the podcast and share it. For those of you who don't know Ryan, he is a former Humboldt Broncos defenseman and one of the 13 surviving members of the Humboldt bus crash that happened in April 2018. In this conversation with Ryan, we talk about his journey with hockey, moving away at a young age, his first experience with Humboldt, and all that he has accomplished and hopes to accomplish since that life-altering event. He has an incredible attitude towards life, and I have no doubt that he will achieve all that he sets his mind to. If you want to follow along on his journey, he can be found on Instagram at rstraz underscore. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, it's early, but uh, ready to attack the day. How early is it right now for you? Is it nine? <laughs> 8 a.m. <laughs> oh my, why did you tell me I would have pushed it back later? <laughs> oh no, it's all good. I got to get out of bed early anyways. All right. Well, thank you for being on today. I'm actually super excited to hear more about your story and learn more about you. We had a quick conversation, was it like two weeks ago? And now I'm super excited for you to dive in more. Um, So anyways, you're in Calgary right now. What's the weather like? I always ask that question. I got to (laughs) know. Uh, it, it's kind of gloomy. We've been hit by the, the BC smoke a little bit from the fires. Ooh, so yeah. um, the past few days, it's been pretty gray. Yeah, I think I have the same thing here. It has been like really smoggy. Um, yeah, because there's been fires in Colorado and I think Montana or something like that. All over. So, <laughs> that's rough. But um, anyways, so I want to learn more about how you got started in hockey and why did you choose hockey as your sport? So my dad growing up was a, was a pretty big hockey fan. He loved the flames and from a young age, probably four or five, you know, he strapped us into skates and me and my siblings, sorry. And uh, took us, always took us to public uh, skating, outdoor rinks, just to kind of get used to skating. And um, we really enjoyed that. I mean, obviously the skating part was fun. There's no rules being a young kid. You just want to do whatever you want. And then as soon as I joined uh, rec league, play with other players and you know get up for those 6 a.m practices I hated it like <laughs> getting up early you know going skating a cold rink just absolutely despised it but I mean as the years went on my dad kind of gave me a choice he's like all right when you hit 10 or 11 or 12 let me know if you want to continue playing and obviously at the start it was rough I didn't like it and then progressing forward I started to enjoy it more uh, it became more more fun made new friends uh, it kind of just gave me opportunities to play different places, not just on one team the entire year, like spring hockey and uh, try and develop as an athlete and as, as a person as well. So by the time I hit 12, I really enjoyed the game and I uh, was excited to see where it could take me. And uh, sure enough, I, I decided to choose hockey. That's awesome. Did you start playing? What age did you start playing at? I think it was about five or six. Five or six. And that's when you hated it? Oh, yeah. Like we would have, <laughs> we have to have, get up at like 4 35 a.m just for practices about oh I don't know, 45 minutes away and just in the coldest rink and it, it's funny you look back on it now and you you laugh about it and you have all these good memories but at the time you, you know as a little kid who wants to get up at 6 a.m on a Saturday and then uh <laughs> so you know I, I'm, I'm grateful that I did do it but at the time I just like hated it when did you start liking it probably like probably around that eight or nine range. Um, that's when spring hockey got involved. That's when we got to take mm-hmm. trips to like BC and kind of travel more for spring hockey uh, after the, you know, the regular season winter uh, hockey uh, team. And uh, yeah, as soon as I got to travel and meet new players and, and play against top players that are you know, sometimes in the NHL right now. So I, I think just that exposure and, and getting to travel and meet new people is, was when I started enjoying it. I'm glad you like it because you're still doing it and there's hockey sticks in the background. So did you start playing AAA hockey growing up or did you start, was it like rec league and how did you get into playing juniors? I, yeah, so I started playing kind of rec league just for fun. And then by the time I hit 12, I I moved just north of Calgary to a whole new uh, program and then ended up playing the top level PB team there. And then it's funny, the year after, you know, I figured I, I've always been, you know, 
top three tiers at least not by any means am I an all-star but um <laughs> you know playing top I think you were an all-star <laughs> <laughs> no. um so yeah so I played the top PB level and um Bantam the next year you could play triple a or, or double a and that was usually where you're supposed to be as a first year and I remember thinking okay you know I, I put in the work uh, I'm playing well I'm going to make Bantam double a because that's where most first years go and I was like last cut. So I ended up playing rec league after going from, you know, high level peewee the year before. So I was just distraught and I was just completely destroyed. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, do I like suck at hockey? Should I just give up? And so I'm playing like rec league and I'm like not enjoying it. The team wasn't doing too well. And it just wasn't a fun year for me. So that's when I kind of some sort of flip like of the switch happened. And I, I put in the work in the gym throughout the season. Um, trained super hard did extra things after practice and I ended up switching positions for the next year in Bantam so I went from forward to defense and I ended up making triple a I went to my first major junior camp at, at 14 and uh that's when I kind of just took off I mean as soon as I started putting in the work that's when I played Bantam triple a midget triple a um and then juniors from there wow um that year that you got cut what how old were you and what grade were you in uh, i was about 13 that was grade uh nine or no grade eight i think and yeah so that was that was hard i mean being a young kid all your buddies are on the top teams and you know you're like oh like let's hang out tonight oh sorry we're traveling here and then meanwhile i'm stuck in my hometown because you only play hometown uh, mm -hmm. teams so I'm like, all right, yeah, like have fun. And that would just like drive me to, to, to strive to be better next year and, and kind of prove that the coaches that year were wrong about, you know, cutting me. Oh my goodness. That's actually, it's not funny that you got cut, but it's funny that we have a similar story. Like my eighth grade year, I got benched every single third period playing triple A. So like I was still at the top league, but I still got benched and I almost quit hockey because of it. Like I didn't score a single goal that year. It was like that pathetic. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and so I totally feel your pain about wanting to get back at it and like get into the gym and not stop because of it. Um, yeah. Definitely probably made you a better person and push yourself. There, there's been times where, you know, I've had these huge moments in my life because I'm like okay I, I really enjoy hockey I want to see where it takes me so it started in Bantam when that year that I got cut at 13 and then moving forward when I was about 15 and 16 I got cut from the major midget AAA team in my hometown area because of like reasons that you know they kind of beat around the bush not really giving me a straightforward answer and so that ultimately led me to playing up north in Edmonton as a 16 year old so moving away from home playing major uh, midget and, you know, again, getting cut from that team makes, makes you think like, geez, I'm, I'm like, I put in the work, like I did everything I could and I still didn't make it for reasons unknown. So then I go play a major midget up North in the same league granted. And, um, you know, the first year we didn't really, we did okay as a team. We, we bonded, made some good friendships, but then the year after my 17 year old year, I went back again up North and then we ended up playing the team that cut me the year before in the finals. Did you to, score? To go to <laughs> Did you score? Yeah, I think that that playoffs, I was super driven. It was like my last year major midget. So I led all D-men in playoffs for points. And then I was like top four, I think. So I just, I don't know. I've never been a point guy, but like mm -hmm. that playoffs, I was just super driven and ended up doing fairly well. And then we ended up playing them in the finals. We, we beat them in five games and we ended up going to nationals. So that, that was kind of like stick it to the man moment, you know, and uh, just... I remember those moments, like, you know, that things that drive me, you know, make me want to do better, kind of prove people wrong. Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, there's always going to be people that doubt you, but the one person you have is yourself to rely on and like push yourself. I mean, like that's where all the discipline and motivation comes into play. Like it's all on you if you want to be the best. Like there's only people can make excuses, but they're the only ones stopping themselves, you know? No one else is stopping them, regardless. Um, so you moved away when you were really young. What was that what kind of experience was that like for you? I was super tough at, at, at the start because I'm going to a whole new place I've never been before. 
and in Leduca, Alberta, which is like mainly Edmonton. So I'm going to a new high school. I'm the youngest kid on the team at the high school. And I don't know anyone. I don't even have a car. So I'm using my billet brothers <laughs> on my team. I have to, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gym rat. He goes to the gym at 5 a.m. And he's my only ride to school. So I go to, that, <laughs> go to the gym. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just lifting. Like, I don't really know how to train properly. <laughs> I'm just bulking. And uh, so then sure enough, after the gym, you know, shower, get ready, go to school. And then so throughout the day, I'm kind of just going class to class, trying to like trying to make friends like, hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm not from here, blah, blah, blah. And so that was tough. I mean, I'm not a very extroverted guy. Did you get weird looks? Oh, all Did the time. Because like, oh, no. it's a fairly small town. They're like, I've never yeah. seen this. Kid. This is weird. Um, but yeah, so I'm fairly like introverted. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to keep to myself, just do what I need to do. But at the same time, I'm, I'm very friendly and try and be outgoing. But yeah, so I, I tried to make friends. I tried to bond with my teammates as much as I could. And, uh, you know, throughout the year, it was it had its moments, kind of a struggle. But uh, I think I learned from that. I, I learned what not to do and what to do to kind of mm -hmm. mature as a person and be prepared for when, you know, if I do make junior A, moving away from home. Yeah, I mean, living away from home is never easy. I mean, it's like one of the biggest changes you could go through. Like you're still a kid and you're moving away from your family and everything that you've known. Like it's just one of the biggest challenges that I had to go through too. How many high schools did you go to? I went to three or yeah, three high schools. So I went to two here and then I went to one in Edmonton. So I was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> did you make a lot of friends? Yeah. Like I, I tried to anyways. I, I mean, I think they're friends. I mean, we get along, but um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I made sure to like make connections and at the end of the day, regardless if you're good at hockey or not and making friendships, it's just about being a good person. And I think that can go a long way, even if you don't like someone, even if you guys don't get along, I think it's important to at least build somewhat of a relationship because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you never know when you can use them for support and uh, where things might go in the future. So yeah, I tried to just be a good person and, and build friendships from there. Yeah, that's honestly the only thing you can do um I think with hockey too that's that's the reason why I liked it so much was the fact that they always became my family by the end of the year regardless yeah. if like we were the best team or the worst team whatever it was like we were always so close-knit and I love that even about like prep school like living with them so you probably had the same feeling whenever you started playing juniors um did you you started with the Wolverines correct yeah so I guess Going back a little bit, I started my junior career with the Grand Prairie Storm when I was 16. Got to play a couple games, get a pace for it. And then the following year, uh, played in White Court for a few games. And I guess the story there, um, I was playing for a, a, one of the most winningest coaches in junior hockey. His name's Gordon Thibodeau, and he's been around for a long time. Like my neighbor who plays in the East Coast now, he's in his 30s and he played against him in junior when he was in Bonneville. So he's had some stories about this coach and when I tell you a coach is a hard ass, this guy was insane. <laughs> he, he, uh, oh man, like he would scream at kids. He was like, I remember my D partner, he was my age, rookie D man, makes, you know, a mistake on the blue line. And uh, all of a sudden he tells the kid to go, to go get unchanged and watch the rest of the game. And it's in the second period, he's screaming at kids intermission, like, I'm going to trade you if you don't, you know, pick it up. Like just threatening kids all the time, just being that, I don't know tyrant in a way and um it was it was hard to play so everyone's gripping their sticks tight not not wanting to make a mistake um and i just remember this one bag skate drill we did sorry i'm sorry to tie like side tag no it's okay keep going <laughs> yeah he would bag skate us for the same drill it would be demon go up to the red line back pedal all the way back into your zone touch the boards sprint up we did that for 45 minutes straight and I remember that bag skate because I had to get new skates. So I'm wearing brand new skates during the first bag skate of the year. And when I tell you my ankles are messed up afterwards, like I could barely walk. It was horrible, like blisters kind of, you know, just would bleed at, at every single stride. So it uh, wasn't fun anyways. So he was, he was that kind of coach and he, he liked me, thank God. And I also knew that Darcy Hogan of the Humble Broncos really liked me as well. And after my stint with the uh, Leduc Oil Kings, when he went to nationals, he 
took me out to breakfast. We had a good chat. He really wanted me to come. And, you know, I was kind of on the fence about it because I had the Medicine Hat Tigers of the WHL. I had White Court, I had a couple BC teams, and then the Broncos. And what ultimately led me to going to White Court was that um, Gord, the coach, reached out and said, we've had some interest from some NCAA schools, and we think if you come to White Court, stay in your province, right, you'll be more familiar with the scouts because they're from around the area, and then you can, you know, keep in touch or whatever. So I'm like, okay, like, that's what I want to do. I want to play college hockey and I want to go to white court so I started playing there and I got a call from my trainer who's in touch with a lot of junior teams uh, his name's Cody Thompson and uh he's like hey I, I just have a weird feeling you might get traded soon so I'm like yeah okay good one and uh <laughs> and we're getting ready for a south road trip in white court so it's a four-day trip play three teams and all of a sudden I get called into the coach's office and Gord's like, all right, we made a trade last night. I'm like, oh God, like, don't be Laurent. Don't be on the other side of Canada or something, right? And uh, he's like, yeah, you're going to Humble. I'm like, all right, nice. Okay, like, all that's coming. So yeah. pack my bags. I didn't even get to keep my sticks. I'm like, hey, I went to the trainer. I'm like, can I get Are my you serious? Sticks? Yeah, because I guess they were on a budget or something. I don't know. And I'm like, hey, can I get my sticks? And uh, she's like, no, sorry, these are for the team. I'm like, all right, fair enough. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, packed my bag and went home, spent a weekend there and went over to Humboldt the day after. Oh, my, that's cold. You didn't like keep your sticks. <laughs> it's a long story. Yeah. But <laughs> that's the gist of it. That's yeah. I've had coaches like that before. I had to give all my gear back. Um, and I'm like, what am I supposed to play hockey with or trade with? <laughs> like I have nothing. Exactly. <laughs> so that backseat was bad. Have you had any worse? Like, have you ever had to do like a Michigan mile? Uh, yeah, actually in the worst backseat I've ever had was peewee, peewee when we were 12. Peewee? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we ended up losing to our rivals, like eight, nothing, just a terrible game. And we had a 6am practice right before school in Calgary and we're 12. Right. So this is grade seven. And, uh, we go to Calgary and the coaches are like, all right. So it puts a pocket center ice and everyone's like, Oh, what? that's kind of weird. We're 12. We don't really know the rule. So we get out there and start scrimmaging after an eight, nothing loss, the next practice. And all of a sudden the coaches come out, blow the whistle and said, who touched the puck? So anyway, someone raised their hand and they're like, all right, everyone on the line. And I think we had scheduled an hour 15 practice. And for the entire hour 15, it was, Constant bay skate drills, no water, only buckets. So only was, buckets. Like we had so, so many kids puking. It wasn't. It wasn't funny because like that's we're 12, insane. Right? Oh, it was. That was the worst. Have you? Uh, have you had a bad one or what? Oh, I had three bad ones in a row, back to back to back days. <laughs> no. All an hour long, no pucks, or if there was pucks, it was racing with the other person. If you lost, you had to do push-ups. um we had to do like obviously suicides but then we did like the suicide on one side and then wrapped it around all the way oh my god that was so hard um yeah we couldn't feel our legs for like three weeks it definitely hindered our performance (laughs) that was in college yeah so it doesn't get better even after 12 (laughs) i can't believe that coach did that that's you know how inhumane that is like, yeah, but I mean, he got away with it because he won. He won games. At the end of the day, he he had results, and I felt like you know it's a little, little you know intimidating. So it's the players aren't going to like you. But I mean, if you win, you win, right? But uh, yeah, I didn't know that going into white court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how could you know? You never know until you're there. That's exactly. it's kind of the worst part, but also the best part. It builds character. So going into Humboldt. You were there for what was it, six, six or so months? A little over? Uh, yeah, a little over six or seven months. Yeah. What was that experience like whenever you first got there? Well, I met the team uh, in Saskatoon um, after that weekend I got traded and we met at Fuddruckers. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like, why'd you like, meet there? Because they were leaving like some sort of showcase and I had to meet the team halfway and follow the follow the team bus. And uh, yeah, it's like you make your own burgers and I'm just like, 
what? Okay, first of all, like, where am I right now? Like, what is this? So I go <laughs> in and sure enough, like, the team's just chilling there eating uh, hamburgers. And I was like, all right. So I popped a squad and just like chatted with the guys. I'm like, okay, these guys are cool. And wasn't sure what to expect from the Saskatchewan Junior League. But um, anyways, followed the team and we're going in the middle of nowhere in Humboldt. And for those people who don't know, Humboldt has like two roads. And uh, so it's kind two of- Two roads, road. that's it? Two main roads, basically. Wow. And uh, so going in, I'm like, oh, the bus is stopping. We're pulling up to a rink right now. Um, I don't see anything. We're just like in the middle of nowhere. But as, as soon as I walk through the rink doors, it's just, it's awesome. Like the rink is huge and um, great fan base. And it was just incredible. So um, I remember going to the stall, going to my stall in the locker room and they're like, all right. Like I was expecting kind of gear in the, in the stall already. And nope, that wasn't the case. I had to go up outside the room and there was this giant box painted green it was like out of like two by fours and whatnot and in it was old gear from five years ago and you kind of pick and choose what fits <laughs> yeah so you pick and choose what fits and my, I remember my gloves had holes in them uh the pants didn't quite fit right I had a helmet that was discontinued in 2012 <laughs> that's illegal you can't exactly do that. right like so <laughs> No, I know. So it was an M11. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, that was my favorite helmet. Yeah, so we had an Super M11. Comfortable. <laughs> that was uh, probably that was... not that one. <laughs> no, no. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Like we'll get some decent sticks. And the whole league sponsored by Sherwood. And I'm like, oh my god. So <laughs> funny story. I grab a couple sticks and tape them, customize them, whatever. And the first practice, Darcy calls me to the, to the side. He wants me to start taking one-timers to get prepared for the power play. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to rip these pucks, you know, just give her. So I'm, you know, putting everything into them. I'm you know, connecting with them. And then all of a sudden, just ice burners. They're all sliding along the ice. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? I'm like, it's got to be me. Like, I'm doing something wrong. And sure enough, the first, like, couple uh, one-timers I took, the blade broke. And I'm like... Oh God, like, what am I in for right now? So <laughs> kind of a rough start, but then I sort of got accustomed to it over, over the course of the, you know, six or seven months I was there, uh, you know, got new gear um, and then just, you know, started enjoying it more, starting to kind of adapt to the situation I was in. It was, it's a different league, different players. So you sort of have to adapt and make yourself stand out and help the team win in any way you can. So uh, and, and aggressive, it's definitely an older league. So being going in as like an 18 year old rookie playing like decent minutes, uh, you know, getting run in the corner every couple shifts. I mean, you got to get used to it and start to roughen up your game, toughen up and um, yeah, moving forward. So I was playing lots of minutes, getting some interest from school. So I was like, okay, you know what? It's, it's not the best environment to start, but like I've adapted, I've, I've started playing well, started gelling with my teammates. So things are looking, you know, smoothly. And um, I've, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I've never been an all-star by any means, but I got selected to go to the all-star showcase against the Manitoba League. So and you're an all-star. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just, I was lucky, but um, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to go with a few teammates and that kind of, again, sparked something inside me. I'm like, wow, I've, you know, never really been selected for anything like this. Now I'm going to, do the best I can kind of prove everyone wrong from my past that you know I'm capable of doing this and you know I'm again really fortunate enough to do that and uh you know the rest rates itself we we made it to playoffs and um again was playing fairly well and then uh, then the accident happened when it happened what did you feel so when we're, we're getting into Nipawin and we're about 20 minutes out and all of a sudden like I, i'm kind of sitting in my seat and the bus driver just screams and i kind of like put my head like looking down the aisle and you just see the truck coming and it just all of a sudden you hear that initial collision and everything kind of goes black i don't know how to describe it you can feel your body moving but you're black though and then i'm not sure how long after i ended up waking up and i'm like sitting up i'm like okay, whoa, what just happened? Like, is this real kind of thing? And so many mix of emotions, your adrenaline's going, you don't really know what's going on. 
and you know i'm looking around just seeing everything and unfortunately i was pretty conscious for most of it and i'm sitting up and i'm like okay i don't know what's going on this can't be real got to be whatever looking around and my first instinct is just to get up and just start like assess the situation sort of thing so i'm like i'm like moving forward i'm like okay shit i got to get up i'm stuck under something and i look down and there's nothing on my legs and they're just not moving i'm like okay that's probably not a good sign and that like that's when everything starts racing again and your adrenaline starts going and then things start getting hectic and you're you're kind of looking around like trying to you know scream for help um, and unfortunately i had ribs broken and my lung was punctured and um you know i was bleeding kind of everywhere so like i wasn't able to breathe or talk that well so you know i'm not trying to get too graphic here but like blood would come out every time you scream for help and, and i wasn't wasn't able to breathe basically so i had to wait for paramedics and um yeah just like i mean some of the things you see in a situation like that you don't really know it, it just never leaves which is you know terrible because it almost makes me wish I was unconscious for the entire thing. And the last thing I remember is just, you know, going to an ambulance with a teammate and then kind of putting the needle in me and then waking up in the hospital. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the guys don't really remember what happened, but, um, you know, it, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. You, do you ever dream about it or have nightmares? Not so much dream about it. Um, more so throughout the day, it'll just like, at, at some point in the day, it'll just pop in my head. And it's like, it's like, okay, like get out, get out of my head type of thing. And it's hard, it's, it's hard to clear your head and uh, it'll just, no matter the situation, it'll just pop in, whether it's for a second, whether it's for a minute or an hour, just kind of, just kind of always there lingering. How do you get through that whenever it happens? Just try to distract myself. You know, if I just sit there and think about it, that's all I'm going to think about. Um, so that's where I like start talking, you know, reading, playing sports, you know, just go move around or do something. Right. So um, little things to sort of distract myself from that. Yeah. I mean, that's an insane event. It's filled with a lot of trauma, a lot of loss. Um, how do you deal with the, the loss of those people? Because I'm sure you guys got extremely close throughout those six months. Yeah, I mean, you get very emotional. Um, but over the past couple of years now, I've sort of obviously not, don't want to think about it too much, but like be mindful of it. I want to not think of it as a negative way, if that makes sense. I want to think of it as though I got to meet those players. I got to build those relationships. I get to live on and tell all the stories we had, all the good memories we had, how how good of people they were. So, um, you know, I kind of, again, use that as motivation, use that to cherish those memories and, and spread their message and their stories. Like uh, Logan Boulay, who was one of my D partners, he's an organ donor and he started this huge movement, uh, Green Shirt Dale across Canada for people to sign up to be organ donors. and just absolutely incredible. I mean, even though they're not here, we just kind of you know, share their messages and, and share the stories and good people they were. And um, it's just uh, one of those things that you can't really dwell on because it'll just uh, impede the way you, you approach life. So, I mean, if you can find some sort of motivation out of it, then I mean, I think that's probably the best option. Yeah, definitely. So, we talked a little bit about your mental health in the past. Can you yeah. dive into that and like how it helped you prepare somewhat for the accident? Yeah, so like, like growing up, um, my dad again was a huge hockey fan and, and loved violence and you know the hitting and the fighting in hockey and um, you know being the oldest sibling kind of going through it firsthand going through it first out of all the siblings was like, um, I guess a couple examples would be when we first started body checking, my dad, you know, I remember playing a game and not really hitting anyone because I didn't want to hurt anyone. I just wanted to play hockey. My dad didn't really like that. So I remember coming home and, um, you know, in our garage, we had like cement walls or in the basement, I can't remember, but 
um, he was like, all right, try and get by me. And then he can go inside. So he left about, I don't know, a foot or two away from the cement walls and him. And I had to get by him just to go inside. And I just remember being out there for, I, I don't even know, a long time, just getting drilled into the wall and getting knocked down. And his idea behind it was to toughen me up. And that's kind of what I went through. Not just that example, but I mean, there's multiple examples where, you know, if you don't, if you weren't aggressive, if I didn't play to impress my dad, I was like terrified leaving the rink. And um, I think that kind of led me to, you know, being tough and not showing any emotion and being this sort of robot through life that's just aggressive and mean and, you know, not a good person. And so, you know, when I was, you know, about 12 and 13, 14, I'm like, I can't wait to play higher level hockey just to get out of here, just to leave the house. And, um, you know, when I was 16, I was like, all right, I got the call to go play somewhere else. I I'm in, I'm going. Cause I mean, throughout my whole childhood, it was about impressing my dad, making sure he doesn't get mad at me for not playing the way he likes to play. And that, uh, that kind of scared me as a kid growing up. So, um, you know, there, there's habits I'm definitely trying to break away from, but that is ultimately how I grew up and, and, you know, kind of how I'm trying to break away from it now. Cause it's not who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's more common than you think to have parents like that, which is, it's the sad truth, honestly. Um, but I can't, that story of body checking. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said you were out there for how long? Probably an hour, hour and a half. Were you bruised up after? Probably. I, I mean, I just remember like getting just so angry and just trying to run through, but no matter what, I was never getting by him. I think it was just his way of like, all right, if you can handle hits from me, you can handle hits from other people and you just start throwing them. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you got to, I think we we're like nine or 10 trying to go up against, you know, 40 year old guys. So mm -hmm. I don't know, you do the math. Yeah. Did you change your style of play after that incident or? Yeah, like I just remember being super aggressive, not like just trying to hit anything that moved, trying to make the big hit, trying to be aggressive fighting. And I mean, some of that does come out. I mean, that's just natural aggression in most guys, right? But I think I was a little more aggressive after that growing up because any little thing, I was just throwing bodies. I don't care if I went out of the play and I don't care if my helmet flew off. I just made sure that guy was on the ground and hurt. I'm like that growing up I'm like that's just not hockey you're not out to hurt people right mm -hmm. and you know unfortunately there have been times where I'm like just all this rage kind of built up pent up and not being able to show emotion at all in front of my dad was like okay I get to let it out on the ice and sometimes it would just get out of hand like I I still feel horrible about it and I like I hate this memory about myself but I remember this one kid like tripped me or something and I just remember grabbing his face mask and like smashing it off the uh off the glass and like slamming them down and off the ice right and i'm just like like what am i what am i doing this isn't who i am this is not who i want to be and i'm just like i have to find a way to kind of like sh play differently and then never do that again mm -hmm. did you talk to somebody about your aggression when you were younger no i never really had outlets i didn't even know that was a thing until you know after the accident and i always felt as a, as a guy that going to these sort of things was weak and that um, people are going to judge you and that, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to be doing that because, you know, that doesn't make you a man. Yeah. There's definitely still a really big stigma around mental health for both men, women, everyone. Um, and it's really sad to see because so many people do struggle. Um, do you still, do you go to therapy now? Yeah, yeah, I go every every so often. I mean, it, it was more frequent um, shortly after the crash, but now that I've sort of found ways to deal with things, that I don't I don't go as much anymore. Mm -hmm. What are the other ways that you cope? Um, so I did a lot of a lot of reading. Um, I've never been a huge reader, but I just find that it's very distracting and that you can learn a lot. And I think mm -hmm. knowledge is one of the best powers you can have. So the more you can learn from things, the more you can enjoy life and make yourself happy, the more you can, uh, you know, show that and, and show people the light. Like um, you kind of have to be the light for yourself before you can start being the light in other people's lives and showing them that there are outlets. So I started playing guitar, reading, writing, kind of learning everything I could. And um, 
I think that was that was a huge part and kind of what makes me happy now. And again, I'm still learning, trying new things all the time. So there, there's so many outlets and just got to find what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of books have you read? Are they like mental health books or are they fiction or what are you reading? Um, kind of all sorts. A lot of, a lot of self-help uh, books. Like I read, I just started reading um, sort of a series by Jocko Willink, who's a, a former Navy SEAL. And he's got a lot of steps, how people can better themselves and be a leader in, in, in any sort of situation. So some of the stories he has of uh, being in the SEAL teams and um, sort of the habits he's built up and rules that he lives by, I try to implement that as best, best as I can so that I can you know, be in a strong leadership role and, and be happy and uh, at the same time, learn something new, try something new to see if it works for me. So there's been a lot of that. Uh, there's been, you know, I've got a couple of books here. Um, a lot of just like biographies. I don't know if you're familiar with Slash from Guns N' Roses. Mm-mm. He was the guitar player. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, sorry, it's all good. He, uh, he was the guitar player for Guns N' Roses and um, his biography was just insane. Like just funny stories and crazy stories what he had to go through. So there's always something you can find that is applicable to your life, but something you can also relate to as well. No matter you know, if they're famous celebrities or not, I think you can always grab something and try to implement that as, as best as you can. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the reading. It feels nice to know you're not alone. That somebody at some point has already been through something that you're going through. Um, that's like been one of my biggest ways of coping too, is just like understanding that I'm not alone. Because like when you get depressed or when you're feeling anxious or whatever it may be, like you start to just get in your head and like you feel like nobody's understanding the stuff that you're going through. But more often than not, everyone has something that they can relate to you with. Exactly. Um, like, um, I've always like, after the accident, after all these things, I found that the, the hardest person, like your worst enemy is always the voice inside your head. Like, the voice inside your head is always going to argue with you. It's always going to point out flaws. It's always going to make you upset. It's kind of what like, I, I understand it as like the things you get embarrassed about, the things you aren't comfortable about. It's just your own thoughts and opinions. It's your own voice. So it's like um, kind of battling against it every day. And I always, I have a tattoo on my chest of sort of this like inner demon type of thing. It's what you have to face every day. Sometimes, you know, you wake up and you're like, okay, I don't want to do today. And it's just about facing that inner demon and being, okay, just get out of bed. That's the first thing you got to do is just get out of bed. Starts with that. Take small steps. Just get out of bed every day. Don't check your phone. Just get up. And it starts with small steps. You can get to bigger steps. Okay, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this today. And just sort of increments of smaller steps just to get to an ultimate goal. And I always felt, like you just mentioned, that that inner voice is, can be your worst enemy at times. Mm-hmm, definitely. That's actually something that I use those little steps getting out of bed. Like when I was really depressed um, back in college, I was like, I got to go to workout. Just get up, put your shoes on. Let's go. Like, just take that one step and you'll be a little bit closer to getting to the end of this dark tunnel. Um, and so you said you journal, right? Yeah. What do you journal about? Just sort of anything, like thoughts, goals, um, things I have to do, just any sort of writing. It's it's sort of a, a hidden self-help tool and it's um, sort of therapeutic in a way. And uh, no matter what it is, I always just write and it, it could be about stories as well, right? Like things you want to share to the world because um, I was actually listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson and he brought up a good point of, um, sorry, he's a famous uh, scientist and very smart yeah. guy but um when you're not here anymore you know 100 years from now you know no one's going to really remember what you said you know during this year of your life for example so if you write it down like if you write down all these things it gets passed on right that's why books are so crucial because even though some of these people may not be here right we're still reading about them still reading about the lessons they learned and kind of passing that knowledge down to the next generation so i feel like writing things down is is you know, just as important as, as speaking about them. Yeah, for sure. And even like when you're journaling and if you've been doing it for years, you look back and you're like, whoa, I felt like this on that day. Like, that's insane. Like, look how far I've come. 
basically like just checking yourself. And I, I have so many notebooks filled up. Like I probably have 15 that are just completely filled with writings from in my head. I was like, do you ever look back and think like how you've changed? Mm-hmm. All the time. Okay. Yeah. Makes me feel good. I'm just like, you know, because life gets really busy and it gets busy for everyone. But like, if you don't stop and look around, like it's going to pass by right in front of your eyes. And like, I like to remember even like the smallest detail from the day, like this guy made me laugh or, you know, I saw this really beautiful person with like the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen in my life. Like just those small things or like the way the flowers smelled or whatever it is. Like, I think the simple things in life that we pass by that's like every day is just easily forgotten. Yeah. Like time, time is so valuable and people are like, yeah, I'm young. I got lots of time, but I'm like, yeah, but what are you doing with that time? If you break it down, right. You're sleeping for, let's say anywhere from, you know, six to eight hours, six to nine hours. And then, so that's already out of your 24 hour day. And then you get up, check your phone for an hour, play video games for an hour, right? The time slowly decreases. And again, you just have these small increments of time to do something valuable, yet some people choose not to. And at the end of the day, that time adds up. And, and like you mentioned, it, it's so crucial and it can fly by just like that. And I, you know, I experienced that firsthand with, with the accident, right? I'm thinking, junior hockey player going to go into a playoff game going to go home after this and all of a sudden you know your life changes in near-death experience and you're like wow like I look at it as though like I get a second chance at life to do the most of what I got the you know kind of you're dealt this hand what are you going to do with it and I think if more people approach it as though like you know I, I don't have a lot of time I'm going to make the most of what I got because mm -hmm. they like you just mentioned it flies by yeah and I mean, like a lot of times too, if you get caught up in like, why is this happening to me? It's more of like, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Like everything is given to see like how you can overcome it. Like how you can grow. I think like, what is life without growth? You know, like that's the whole point of it. What do you, otherwise you're just sitting in your room the whole time, exactly. not being too scared to do anything. So I completely agree. I I liked it. I like that conversation a lot. Normally, like I don't get into these types of conversations with people that I've talked with in the past because it's like rather journeys and everything. But like, this is still the other side of being an athlete, being a person in general, which is like everything that we deal with that nobody sees. Exactly. Like behind the scenes. And I'm sure a lot of professional athletes deal with it as well. And, you know, if they uh, were to come out about their problems it just like you know people might judge them and, and that's what they're scared of um so it's just like you know you think about it and I mean obviously you played very high level and you're still going to play high level in Sweden so you know you might experience some teammates who who have you know that problem and it's just like now that you've sort of experienced things and you're still working on it you can sort of help them all right and that gets passed on and gets passed on so it's like the gift that keeps on giving and it's just it's so important to talk about things and um, it can help a lot of people out. Yeah, for sure. So since the accident, um, how has your life changed and what are some things that you're working towards right now? So I'm dealing with a, a spinal cord injury at the T2, T3 level, which is like very high up just above the nipple line. And uh, so I don't really have core muscles that work and my legs, you know, it's, it's hard. I can't really do much. So, um, I've had to learn to live a, a whole new life, kind of use my arms and upper back for everything and, and sort of balance in a new way, get around, grab things, live on my own and, and be independent. And then on top of that, I've gone to physiotherapy for the past three years now, and it's just been super vigorous and hard. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. I've, I've always loved hard work. So it's, it's fun for me. And then Again, on top of that, I'm playing sled hockey to try and crack the Paralympic team. So I've been playing that for about three years now and made some progress there, made the provincial team here. So uh, moving towards nationals, uh, hoping to crack a spot in the next couple of years. And um, yeah, it's just been a lot of hard work. So I've been very fortunate enough to, to meet some great people who've helped me along the way. And I'm just continuing to put in the work and see where it takes me. Yeah, I mean, you're probably one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life, but also one of the most humble. Like, 
I, I saw the video of you standing for the first time since the accident and I read that you didn't even tell your parents about that happening. Yeah, I'm a pretty secretive guy because, um, you know, something like that, right? I just went into physio and said, you know what, I'm, you know, I don't want to keep doing the same thing. Let's just go for it. So sure enough, that video is just me for the first time, just like going for it, saying, getting outside my comfort zone. And um, I sort of have this mentality where, you know, you can never really be satisfied. It, it's it's great milestone, but I'll, I'll at the same time not satisfied so that I don't get stagnant and that I don't think, oh, okay, I did that. I don't have to work harder anymore. But it's like, no, I'm, you know, that was nothing. Like, I'm going to show you guys that I can do more. And then I'm going to show myself that I can do more, I should say. But so the next physio session, and this hasn't been recorded yet, but I actually started taking steps with the walker with some assistance. And Are you serious? Yeah, that was like the Congrats. next. Yeah, but I mean, haven't recorded yet. Still working on it. Still doesn't look yeah. great. And it's not you know down to a T, but it's something I'm working on. And then I'm sure that video will get released at some point. But um, yeah, again, just never being satisfied and uh, just wanting to do more just to see the potential and, and see where it can take me. Great, right? because you never know the harder you push yourself. Right. And, you know, the more you get to get outside your comfort zone, that's when you make the most progress. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. I know that you're never satisfied, but like that is a, it's still a huge accomplishment. Like you got to sit down and just sit with it and be proud of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very like happy about it. And uh, you know, I got to share that experience on social media with some people, but um, it was like kind of cherish it for that moment for however long that day, the rest of the day, then the next day was like, all right, let's get back at it. Let's, let's get after it. Yeah. It's like winning a hockey game. It's <laughs> you're like, all right, that was sick. We swept BC. All right. What now? We got to go win a championship. <laughs> exactly. You're like, I, I love this feeling. I'm going to do more. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. Um, so what do you normally do like in physiotherapy? What are some of the things that you've been working on? I've done uh, mainly just kind of maintaining leg health and, and working on balance. Like I mentioned, I don't really have core muscles at work, so I got to use my arms to sort of balance. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of like seated balance for that can be applicable to sled hockey or even just sitting in my chair. I've done a lot of standing, uh, a lot of assisted walking with um, I think this uh, sort of device that holds me in tight so that I can do steps and so just kind of maintaining leg health so they don't deteriorate um, so that if I do get the chance to walk again I, I my legs will be strong enough to do so and then so I had experimental surgery done in Thailand back in 2019 and I was able to move muscles after that below my injuries so I've been using that quite frequently and it's been it's been great progress and that's what allowed me to stand uh, on my last video so I've been working a lot with that, but the main point of physio is just to kind of maintain leg health. Mm -hmm. um, what was that surgery and like, how did it help you? So it's an epidural uh, stimulator surgery and it's uh, basically a device with 16 electrodes placed on my T10 vertebrae and it is attached to a battery packed and a uh, Bluetooth remote that has 12 different programs. And Bluetooth? Yeah, so it's like a remote that's sort of Bluetooth. Wow. Yeah, you can pick different programs for walking, kicking, whatever you kind of pick, whatever it's programmed to do. And basically there's 16 electrodes on this uh, uh, device on my T10 vertebrae. So there's like 32 million different combinations for different movements. And, and so I've been, you know, kind of using that and, and using different programs. And uh, I remember the first video of my knee coming up after the surgery was in Thailand and it kind of blew up around the world because I had Ashton Kutcher posting about it. Uh, Ryan Reynolds followed me wow. on Twitter. Like he followed you on Twitter. Yeah, so all these all these famous people and and you're athletes. famous. No, 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 no. Yes, you are. <laughs> they, they they followed me, so they're they're keeping up with me, which is absolutely incredible. And I like never in a million years would I have guessed that those people would be you know like looking into that kind of stuff. So again, very fortunate, and you know it just kind of strives me to push forward with it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, all right, favorite movies by them. Ashton Kutcher oh, and Ryan Deadpool Reynolds. class. <laughs> oh, Ashton Kutcher. Both of them. I don't know. I watched that. I love that 70s show. Oh, okay. That's not so, bad. I love Ashton Kutcher in that one, but Ryan Reynolds, I think, 
kind of anything he does is just awesome like he's again great looking guy great actor very <laughs> funny so like can you really go wrong with any of his movies actually no. you know Greenland wasn't that good I don't even know if I ever saw that no. I've hardly ever seen Deadpool so oh you gotta watch Sorry. it <laughs> kind of dark I'll humor. have to watch it now yeah I'm just gonna ask you one more question since I know you're probably a busy guy so. I'm good to go whenever <laughs> okay well, this will be my final question, and I ask it to everyone that's on the show, and it's, if you had one piece of advice for the next generation of athletes, what would it be? You only get one. Make it good. One, one piece of advice. I think, you know, out of everything we talked about, I think it's important to, you know, enjoy and cherish every moment you have. I mean, every minute of every day counts. Um, you never know when it could all change, you know, it can change like that. So enjoy, cherish every moment, um, you know, make sure every, every moment that you have counts. And I think that's the most important piece of advice I have because, you know, again, experience something like that firsthand is like, you know, okay, wow. It kind of gave me a shock. Like, you know, all these moments that I kind of wasted and all these moments that I didn't really, you know, again, put in the work or didn't do something I, I should have done, right? It's just like it's sort of this regret feeling. And now that I've had this second opportunity to, to be here and, and make do with what I got, I think it's important that every moment counts. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. I actually wrote that in my stall at BU. Oh, wow. <laughs> Enjoy and cherish every moment. <laughs> exactly, right? It's so, so important as a, as a high level athlete to, you know, no matter if it's on the ice off the ice, just enjoy it. And I'm sure you can attest to that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on today. It's honestly been one of the best conversations I've had with someone. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I loved it. It was awesome. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for tuning in today on the Unpaved Path. If you found this episode helpful or enjoyable, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. To get podcast updates, you can subscribe here or follow me on Instagram at ray.rust. Have a happy hump day.